Well, good morning. So great to gather around the truth that what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection has paved the way for us to gather together and to be in his presence and to learn and grow from uh, worshiping together and from his word together. Uh, I love how we open the service uh, with, with Heidi and David talking about community, and, and I, I actually have some good, wonderful community news to share, and that is on Thursday night, uh, Cody and Mackenzie Schrader had their little baby girl, Eliana Grace, and uh, so all are doing well. Seven pounds, 13 ounces, and if you know Cody and Mackenzie, they're really tall, so no surprise, she's already like four feet tall. Um, or 21 and a half inches, but uh, we are very excited to uh, celebrate with Cody and Mackenzie and to get to meet uh, little Eliana Grace sometime soon. And I heard this last Thursday night was also a really good time for many of you ladies at spa night, and uh, I've heard some great reports of some really, you know, soothing music and smells and massages and waxes and I don't know, all that other stuff. But uh, I guess it was a really great time. There's a picture of some of our ladies at the, at the photo booth. Um, and uh, really cool to see this as a community connection point. Uh, in fact, just at first service, I spoke with a couple of ladies who had really only been here once or twice and uh, found their way to spa night. So great to know that, that people who have been members here at Hillcrest for decades got to meet and interact with people who perhaps spa night was their first step onto our Hillcrest campus and into our community. So what a great uh, night that was on Thursday. And guys, we've got something coming up. I know most of you will just go home this afternoon, take a nap and watch the Packer game today. And you're going to do the same thing again next Sunday. Right, Jason? Yes. So how about next Sunday, we just all get together, guys, and watch the Packer game here together in the gym, on the big screen, big sound, all that stuff. Uh, we're going to have some great food as well. we got a couple of guys here that love uh, their meat smokers, and so we're going to have some smoked pork, some smoked chicken, uh, lots of great desserts and sides, and yes, we're even going to have a couple of salads. Uh, it's probably going to be pasta salad and potato salad, if that's okay. Um, and uh, we got some, some fun activities planned during the game as well. So that's next Sunday. Uh, it's a 325 game, so we'll be there by 3 o'clock uh, eating food and uh, getting ready to enjoy the time together. Invite somebody from Hillcrest. Invite somebody from your, your neighborhood or your workplace to uh, come and enjoy that time together. And one more big community thing coming up, Triple Treat. Yay! <laughs> So Triple Treat, one of our, uh, as, as we as a community, we gather together so that we can love on our community around us in the greater Oregon area. And so if you're newer around here, this is a huge event in our town and a great opportunity for us to, um, we're, we're going to do it like we did last year where there's going to be 16, 18, 20 different sites all around Oregon where kids and families will travel around and in some places we'll do crafts, other places do games, other places listen to music and eat food and do all this fun stuff and get lots and lots of candy. So what great joy there is in taking a handful of candy and throwing it in a kid's bag, having the kid's eyes get so big and we see mom or dad kind of doing this uh, at the same time, but a great chance for us to, to be generous. Uh, so 
couple things. Uh, if you would be uh, like to learn more about what it means to, to be a home host site or to be a host at one of the other community sites that we have um, out in the lobby, and I think in your bulletin too, there should be a QR code where you can hit that and you can actually sign up online for that role. Um, or you can get some more information and do that out in the lobby as well. Um, and uh, if you'd like to be part of the setup or the takedown crew as well, you can sign up for that. Uh, this is a big deal. And uh, we are really uh, trying to get all of these details in place ASAP so that about a week from now, we can start getting this, these details and addresses and all that stuff out into our community so they can plan to come and be blessed by that. So uh, triple treat, watch for your uh, uh, sales on candy because we're hoping that everybody brings a bag of candy so that we can be generous uh, in that way as well. All right, well, we are currently in our sermon series going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in the beginning weeks of our journey alongside the King. We've titled this first section of Luke, the entrance of the king. And we just started two weeks ago where we looked at the opening verses in Luke where Luke tells us that he has written this letter for the sole purpose of writing it to a, a man named Theophilus and so that he may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. And by extension, this, this applies to us as well. So this theme of certainty you will see running through this section of Luke. Last week, David spoke about certain answers to the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth for a child and certain answers to the prayers of the people as God had been silent for some 400 years and they were praying that he would come and deliver them. This week, we're going to read a passage with Several similarities to last week's passage, and at the same time, stark differences as well. It's a very familiar story, and one that I had read probably dozens of times in my, in my life, and perhaps you have too, and uh, perhaps even especially as we enter the Christmas season, usually. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 1. Oh, our Father, we thank you that uh, it is finished, that you have provided a way for us to find fellowship with the Father, and that we might find fellowship with one another, and that we might find great truths in your word. So, Father, as we read this familiar passage, help us to, to hear and listen and see anew, empower us to, to grow in our faith. And then to go back out into our homes, neighborhoods, and the world with a, with a deepened certainty and joy in who you are and in your promises to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I will also be uh, putting this up on the screen as I read through this passage. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our big idea today is that God shows us favor so that we will find more certainty in his promises and joy in the journey. God shows us favor so that we will find more certainty in his promises and more joy in the journey. I love how Luke starts out with these two conception accounts, if you will, of John the Baptist last week and of Jesus this week. And he puts these side by side and parallels many things about them. Given the fact that he's the only gospel writer that includes either one of these accounts, and he puts them both right next to each other, I think it's worth asking why he did this. And I want to begin with this first observation that God shows favor to the holy and to the lowly. God shows favor to the holy and to the lowly. Because remember, he's already written that he wants this guy, Theophilus, to be certain of the things that he's been taught, right? So how better than to take us into the lives of, of two people, namely Zechariah and Mary, who we find in different places in life, and as we discover, they're on different places of this certainty continuum, if you will. So last week we learned about Zechariah. He was from the family of Aaron. Zechariah was a man, which was really important uh, in his status in this patriarchal society. He was an old man, his words, not mine. He was married and he was a priest. He was described as righteous and walking blamelessly before the Lord. Now this week we find Mary, on the other hand, her family heritage is not named here. She was a, a very young woman, probably about 14 years old, quite low in status then in her society. Luke tells us nothing about her religious or spiritual condition or background or accolades. We do know that she is betrothed to be married. 
And this would be more like a, a year-long binding engagement, if you would. If we want to compare it to engagement in our society, it was more binding than what we know it to be. It was more like she was already married, but not married yet, if that makes sense. And we also learn that she has not yet been with a man. So those are some of the differences that Luke has set up in who they were. And now, interestingly, let's consider where they were. I mean, Zechariah, he is in Jerusalem. Oh, that's the hustle and bustle, the capital city of, of all of Israel. And not only that, but in his priestly duties, he is in the temple, in a place called the holy place. He was burning incense to the Lord at the altar of incense, a, a, a way to, uh, with, with the aroma and the smoke to, to be evidence of the prayers of the people heading up to God. And interestingly, that altar of incense was located right along a particular curtain in the temple, a curtain that separated the holy place where he was from this other place called the Holy of Holies, where only one person, the high priest, would go in there only one time of year because in the Holy of Holies was where the holiness of God dwelt. And so literally, Zechariah's feet are on the other side of the curtain of the holy presence of God Almighty. Mary, on the other hand, is in Nazareth, a city that's located in Galilee to the north part of Israel, and apparently, Nazareth was not the place to be. We see in, in John chapter 1 kind of an interesting exchange where Jesus was starting to call his disciples. And so he called Philip and told Philip about him. Philip got pretty excited and he goes and finds another dude named Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, hey, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Meaning, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And of all the things that Nathaniel could have said is, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Maybe it's like Gary, Indiana or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so Nazareth was not the place to be. Other than that, we are told nothing more about Mary or what she is doing or where her feet were, so to speak. So my guess is she was an ordinary person doing ordinary things. And then to the holy Zechariah and the lowly Mary, God sends his angel, Gabriel. And though their experiences with the angel were similar, their reactions were not. Because if you remember from last week, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, Zechariah was troubled and afraid at the sight of the angel itself. I, I would be too. And as we see today, Mary too is greatly troubled, but not at the appearance of the angel. Instead, she is troubled, greatly troubled, at what the angel said to her. We see this in verse 28. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, again, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Now, this is one of these things, after years and years of reading this passage, I had misplaced Mary's fear. I assumed when it said she was greatly troubled that she was afraid because this angel had popped into her life. But Mary, in her humility, was greatly troubled at being called, O favored one, and being told, the Lord is with you. This was not a fear of the angel, but this was rather the reverent respect and fear of the Lord. Mary's asking, in other words, how, how could I, such a young woman in such meek and humble circumstances, how could I find favor with God? Who, who am I? Who am I to be graced by God? Why me? And it turns out that in Mary's humility, she shows us something important. She shows us that certainty in God's word grows and flourishes best in the soil of a humble heart. Certainty in God's word grows and flourishes best in the soil of a humble heart. True humility is embracing who we are in light of who God is. Think about that for a second. Who we are in light of who God is. And it's the perfect fertile soil to nourish this growth in certainty that what God says is true. Now, we see this play out as Gabriel shares God's messages to each, Zechariah and Mary. But again, their responses are quite different. As we learned last week, Gabriel tells Zechariah that his prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will bear him a son. They will call his name John. And then Gabriel also explains that, that John will be great before the Lord and he will fulfill all the process, prophecies of old, being the one that was said would come to prepare the way, to prepare the people for the king. And Gabriel tells Mary something similar, but even greater. He says to her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So, so like he did with Zechariah, he names the baby, this time Jesus. And it's interesting because Jesus means Yahweh rescues. Yahweh delivers. Yahweh saves. So by that name describes Jesus' role as Savior. The angel says, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Gabriel told Zechariah that John the Baptist would be great before the Lord. He tells Mary that Jesus will simply be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, God's Son, evidence of this uncommon intimacy that Jesus would have with his Father. The angel continues, he says, and... The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Those are fulfillments of so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed to the Messiah to come. The king is coming. And I think Mary fully understands that this is Messiah language and understands that this even points back to this promise from a thousand years before this that the Lord made to King David, where he said to David, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So the message is that Jesus would come to save, to have this intimacy with the Father, and to reign as the King of Israel forever. So the similarity here is that Gabriel brought messages from God to each of these people that were to be fulfilled in these two boys' lives. And then each Zechariah and Mary ask Gabriel a follow-up question. And this question that they ask reveals the the measure or the lack thereof of the certainty and faith that, that each of them had in what Gabriel was telling them. Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? Slightly different translation from NIV says, how can I be sure of this? And it's interesting because this is Zechariah, right? (laughs) The righteous and blameless priest. His follow-up question asks about the how because he didn't believe the who. He lacks certainty. After all, he and his wife are old. They're well beyond childbearing years. They'd given up all hope that they would have children at all. And in essence, in asking this, how shall this be? How can I know this to be sure of this? He's essentially saying, Gabriel, I don't believe you. This would be impossible. Prove it to me. In contrast, Mary asks a follow-up question, and it's slightly different. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Different from Zechariah's how can I be sure, Mary's question of how will this be shows her complete certainty in the who. She believed God. And and while I think it's quite powerful that we see that Mary believed the who, it still remains that this question, how will this be since I'm a virgin, is a very perplexing question in my opinion. Because unlike with Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary is actually in the prime of her life to have a child by natural means, right? Right? She's young, she's betrothed to be married. It would have been of the highest value that as soon as she was married, that she and Joseph would would start having children together. So why the question? Why does she have to ask, how will this be? What's the this 
And how will this be? Well, I think there are, are two, two factors here that might help to answer that question. One focuses on the how, and the other focuses on the who, okay? Read this later, test this, but here's some thoughts for you. Because in 12 words, Gabriel tells Mary the how. She will conceive and bear a son. Somewhere in there, it seems to me that Mary understands that Gabriel is saying that she will conceive immediately. And this, of course, wouldn't be possible if the conception would come by natural means because she was not yet married to Joseph. So that makes sense. If she understands this is going to happen now, that she says, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel uses 12 words to describe that. He takes the next 54 words to reveal who this baby will be. This brings us back to Mary's humility, perhaps. Because remember, she's a virgin of, of humble estate, pledged to be married a man, to a man of equally humble position and means. How could it be that she and Joseph would be worthy to be parents of the Messiah? How could it be that, that she, in her humble place in life, could be his mother? I don't know, maybe she was thinking that instead of marrying Joseph, she was going to marry someone else of much higher status and esteem, maybe, maybe marry one of the priests or something like that. But, but even still, if she's thinking this conception, this pregnancy would come immediately, there wouldn't be time for that to happen naturally. So there must be another way. How will this be? Well, then Gabriel explains that God's power makes all things possible. God's power makes all things possible. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. You see, while John's conception to parents advanced in years is certainly marvelous, Jesus' conception to Mary, who knew no man, is miraculous and unprecedented and, and came through none other than the same creation power of the Holy Spirit who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And in this, once more, Mary believed God. Because in his doubt, last week, Zechariah asked Gabriel for a sign, prove it to me. And he was rebuked and silenced. He lost his voice. But in Mary's humble certainty, she didn't need a sign and she didn't even ask for a sign. Huh. And yet Gabriel graciously gave her one. He told her about Elizabeth. 
He was telling her what God had promised Zechariah and Elizabeth six months earlier happened. And so it would be, and so it would be though seemingly impossible with Mary. And as we're going to hear more from Mary herself next week, true joy is found in saying yes to God. True joy is found in saying yes to God. Because Mary beautifully unites her humility, her devotion, her faith, her trust. After all that the angel has said by concluding verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, don't miss this. Yes, on one hand, this is absolutely spectacular, right? Mary is favored by God. She is going to miraculously conceive through the Holy Spirit and give birth to the promised Messiah. Wow! Blessed is she among women for sure. And on the other hand, she's about to be pregnant outside of marriage. And Joseph will clearly know that he is not the father. Such a pregnancy was at the minimum grounds for divorce and perhaps even punishable by death. Mary could expect to be disowned by her family, be found homeless, unable to support herself and this little baby. She knew that God's plan for her, though great, would not be all roses and rainbows. And yet she says these words, let it be, let it be. Now, I know that we are a multi-generational church here, right? And some of you, when you hear those words, let it be, let it be, you immediately start to hear the tune of the Beatles from England singing that song, let it be, let it be, right? And others of you, maybe some of you with young kids, hear the Beatles from Sesame Street singing the song, let her be, let her be. And now that I've said that, get that tune out of your head. And let Mary's tune really sink in. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I, I believe she knew this was a costly yes to God. Let it be to me according to your word, not my preferences, my comfort, my desire, my plan. Mary was humbled that God would choose her. She believed that the impossible was possible with God. And she wanted to be nowhere else than in the middle of God's plan for her, no matter the cost. And friends, that is certain faith in God's certain promises. I kind of want to share one 
caution, if you will, with you, and then we'll get to some takeaways. Backing up a couple of verses, Gabriel told Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God, right? As I look out into this room and as I looked out over the crowd from first service as well, I have the, the, the privilege, I guess I would say, to be aware of some of the uncertainties that many of you are facing in life. Some of the uncertainties we would look at and say, well, these are joyful times, like we saw with, with Cody and Mackenzie giving birth to their first child. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And yet, there's some uncertainties there. I don't know if you guys have met Kevin and Olivia yet. They were here in the first service as well. They're newer to our church family, and they're engaged to be married next June. And, oh, man, do they ever bubble that engaged personality and yet some uncertainties for them ahead too. And I know some of the uncertainties, even here in this room, are not quite so joyful, if you will. Things like dealing with the loneliness and the loss of a loved one. Cancer. Broken relationships. Struggling marriages, financial stress, wayward children, all of these different uncertainties that you may be experiencing in your life this morning. And here's the caution. Whatever uncertainty and pain that you're facing right now, be careful not to misunderstand what Gabriel is saying where he says, for nothing is impossible with God. Because we've got to remember, God is not a magical genie that grants our every wish. We talk about this a lot. He's not a vending machine that if you do all the right things, you put the right money in, you hit the right button, you do everything right, and then you expect for what you want to drop out of that machine. We can't take this line from Gabriel to mean that God will always do the impossible. Because in uncertain times, God will not always heal, mend, save, or deliver. Sometimes, yes. Many times, perhaps. But not always. And so I think I want to go back and try to explain just a little bit more about what Gabriel actually said when he said, for nothing will be impossible for God. Now, I myself am not highly educated in the original Greek language of the New Testament, but there are some other really, really smart people who are, and they've developed some tools that even somebody like me can use to, to go a little bit more behind the curtain and see what this means. Because if you remember, Luke wrote these original words in that ancient Greek, and then we have to translate that into English so that we can understand it. And as we look back at that original Greek, maybe a more literal English translation for nothing will be possible with God would be no word of God can fail. There's something about that word nothing. It means no word 
will be impossible with God. No word of God can fail. You see, Gabriel here is not as much coming to Zechariah and Mary and sharing about the events that would take place in their lives. But instead, he's bringing a message. He's bringing a word from the Lord. He appeared in their lives not really to tell them all about how God can do impossible things beyond the physical and the biological limits that we have. (laughs) But he came to tell them these things to say there is certainty that no word from God will ever fail. Do you see that important distinction there? Because Mary saw it. For no thing will be impossible with God. That's that Greek word, chema. No word of God can fail. When the angel said that, Mary said this back. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The same word, chema. So when we find ourselves in the depths of uncertainty, my caution for all of us, myself included, is not to be tempted to take for nothing will be impossible with God to mean that if we just pray hard enough, or if our faith is just deep enough, or if we give enough money, or if we do enough of the right good things and good works, or if we hit A5 on the vending machine, that God will do the impossible and do what we want him to do. Instead, remember that God's word will never fail. And that's where we find some comfort and hope in God's word. In our uncertainty, even when God's word sometimes is hard to read. Let me give you an example as we look back to to James chapter 1, where we were about a year ago from right now, where James said, This, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's God's word. There's certain truth there, but that can be sometimes hard to read in the midst of our uncertainties. Nothing is impossible with God. And sometimes he uses tests, trials, and pain for our good and for his glory. And with that, as we face these different uncertainties in our lives, let me leave you with a few takeaways. We've been encouraging this this practice of an everyday meeting with Jesus and what we mean by that is just a time to be, to be still, to stop kind of going through life, cease striving, <laughs> and take whether it's even just a few minutes to be with Jesus or much, much longer than that, hear from him through his word, through the Bible. 
And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, uh, one of the reasons we have these Bibles available in the seat pockets here is for you to, to take it home with you. Just take it as our gift to you so that you can start to read God's Word. And as you do that in your everyday meeting with Jesus, here are just a couple of questions that you might ponder as you think about the uncertainties in your life. The first would be simply, where am I experiencing uncertainty today? And then maybe what might be the cause or the root? Where is that uncertainty in my heart coming from? Maybe ask, what are some of God's truths and promises that would help me to overcome my uncertainties and experience more joy? The question that we've been talking about asking is, God, what are you inviting me into today? What's your plan for me? One practice that I have when, when I meet with Jesus is to, is to write, to, to write about life, to write about my own uncertainties, to write about things I'm thankful for. Our founding pastor, Scott Ziegler, he loved this quote, thoughts dis disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and through the fingertips. I find that in the midst of my own uncertainties, when I sit and write, it slows down my brain. It slows down my thoughts so I can think and untangle some of the things going on in my own life. I'm honest with God about my own weaknesses and fears when I do that. I ask Him to help to remind me of His grace and His love for me. Someone used that practice of writing. Uh, some, some people would call that journaling. And by the way, I've got two more uh, scripture journals uh, that I'd love to, to give to two of you. Uh, it's a scripture journal through the Gospel of Luke. So on the left-hand side is, is the scripture, and on the right side is a blank page. So that as you read, maybe this could help jumpstart this practice of journaling as you, you read and then take some time to, to interact with what God is saying in His Word. So come see me afterwards if you'd like that. Not every day, but, but many times as I write and then read in my Bible, God is gracious enough to give me some encouragement that pertains to whatever it is I'm going through in my own life. I just want to share an example from this last week as I was reading from 2 Thessalonians of all places. Paul is, is uh, talking to his readers. He's got a prayer for them, and it was a prayer that just really fit some of the things that I was writing about. Paul wrote this. He says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord, of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Such great encouragement. Friends, God and His Word 
were worthy of Mary's trust. And they are worthy of our trust as well. And think about this. Just like Mary, those of us who are in Christ are highly favored by our Father. In fact, as we continue through this gospel of Luke, we're going to see just how favored we are as we see Jesus live a perfect, holy, sinless life. And then as we see him nailed to a cross. God did that for us. Jesus did that for us because we are favored by him. And by his favor, by his grace, through faith and trust and certainty in Jesus and what he did on, his, on that cross and in his resurrection, God blesses us with the certainty to know that, that our sins have been paid for, our penalty has been forgiven, and we have certainty, assurance of, of life, eternal life in the very presence of God. All because God shows us favor so that we will find more certainty in his promises and more joy in the journey. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word and the certainty that we have knowing that your word is powerful and your word will never fail. Thank you for the examples of Zechariah and Mary, real people who had real uncertainties. Father, help us to learn from them. Empower us by your spirit to trust you more, to find more certainty in, in whatever our uncertainties are in life, that we may find more joy in you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.